It's the Adam Ritz Show, a social awareness talk show touching on fellowship, leadership, philanthropy, and more. Adam hosts the show on location from coast to coast, interviewing college students, student athletes, campus administrators, professional athletes, and social experts about social issues ranging from bullying to Twitter and everything in between. And now, it's your social awareness radio host, Adam Ritz. The Adam Ritz Show in Boston today. We're on the campus of Boston College, and we are broadcasting in front of this live studio audience. All right. That's fantastic. Thank you so much for that warm welcome. Uh, we travel the country to report on community service and uh, character and integrity within athletic departments. We're lucky enough to be with the Boston College Eagles football team today, and our guest is Alex Howell. Hi, Alex. How are you? Great. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. What's your position? Uh, I'm a kicker and punter. Kicker, punter. What's your year? Uh, fifth year. Fifth year. All right. So uh, what are you looking to do uh, in the short term this season and in the long term after you graduate? Uh, just be the best I can at everything. All right. That's, that's a high goal. High standards. Okay. So we're here to talk about service projects and uh, how you guys help out the community here in the Boston area. What are you guys up to? Yeah. So usually every summer we go out to Camp Harborview, uh, which is for like low-income kids that and we, we just go and have fun with them. We rock climb, play basketball, play soccer, play football. Uh, and then athletics as a whole, uh, we'll go and read to kids, um, go visit special needs uh, classrooms. And like just, Justin and I and a couple other teammates, we went and uh, played basketball with the local, was it Newton North High School? And that, that's probably the most rewarding part, just seeing people like happy to see us every day at the time we show up. So those little kids, uh, how's it feel inside your heart when you see a little kid just light up when you walk in the room with your Boston College gear on? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's awesome. And one, one thing that, that I'm trying to work on, um, it's, it's, it seems uncomfortable like the first time, but then after that, it's like more rewarding each and every time because you see the kids that they might not have much and they see like us show up and it's like the best time that they've ever had. You know, I've heard that before. Sometimes people are reluctant to get involved, and then once you do it, you crave it. You want to help out more. So, Alex, thanks for sharing that story with us, and uh, thank you again to the live studio audience here at Boston College. Let's hear it one more time. The Adam Ritz Show. Fellowship, leadership, and philanthropy. The show rolls on, and we're going to talk about education and foundation work to help support the importance of education uh, in America. We're here with a, a group called School on Wheels, and uh, I'm happy and, and blessed to be with a person named Claire Brosman. You are with School on Wheels. What do you do with School on Wheels? Um, first of all, I guess from your title. Well, I am the Grants and Communications Coordinator for School on Wheels, where we provide one-on-one -on -one, um, tutoring and educational advocacy for school-aged children impacted by homelessness in Indianapolis. Oh, that's fantastic. Um, tutoring and mentoring. Uh, how old are the kids? The kids are uh, school age, so they're anywhere from K through 12. And so we see a bulk of our kids kind of right around age 10 or younger, um, but students of all ages who are experiencing homelessness. And that means they are either living in shelters, transitional sites, or they're hidden homeless. So they're living doubled up with family, friends, couch surfing, living in cars, hotels, motels. So we're kind of, um, this is a double, I guess, topic of homelessness and education. I mean, the importance of um, teaching kids, everybody knows how that can impact a young person really for the rest of their life. 
you throw in that the the aspect of homelessness i mean this takes us to a, a whole nother level uh when you got involved with this i'm sure it's because of your love of education was it also was there a connection to homelessness um, in in your life or dealings? I haven't had the experience of um, living with unstable housing, but as we all know, growing up is hard to do when you have stable housing, when you have good parents and solid, you know, foundation. So we, I, I know the importance of just having people in your life who are invested. And so when I realized there was this issue of, you know, over 5,000 children are homeless in Marion County, where Indianapolis is alone, that just makes it so incredible to realize there's this whole population that you don't often see. They're going to school with your kids. They are going to school with you, but they don't have the resources you do when they leave school and they are, you know, they don't have a quiet place to study. They don't have a consistent home from week to week. So that throws chaos into their lives, even though their parents are working so hard to give them a stable environment. Their parents are also working to, you know, multiple hours a week to, you know, have their jobs and work towards stable housing. And so we are just there to support the parents and work with the kids and make sure that we are evening the playing field for our city's most vulnerable youth. Our guest is Claire Brosman. She's with School on Wheels. It's an organization to help um, education, tutoring, mentoring with um, children, uh, I guess, affected by homelessness. You mentioned there are 5,000 homeless children in the Marion County area alone, um, times how many millions of counties there are in America. Let's just take one of those 5,000 kids in Marion County that you deal with. Let's pick one of those children out. Let's call him Johnny. Uh, how does Johnny or his family, how do they find out about you? And then what's the next step after that? How do you actually help Johnny? Well, what's amazing is we have phenomenal partners throughout Indianapolis, and that's why it's so great to be in this community, because the community truly cares. And so we have 13 different partner sites. That's transitional shelters, emergency shelters, and schools. And so the social workers in those shelters help us connect to the kids who need those. So the school workers are finding those children who are homeless and need our support. So we do after-school tutoring with over 400 volunteers. Um, up to four times each week um, we bring in those um, same volunteers week after week semester after semester to work with the kids and we offer nearly 8,000 hours of one-on-one -on -one tutoring every single year and we also work with their parents who the social workers then help us connect to as well and uh, the website uh, for our listeners listening coast to coast that maybe want to jump on board and they can donate on your website to help support Yes, yes. It is IndieSOW.org, and that will take you directly to our website where you can learn more about every single one of our programs and creative ways to get involved as well. SOW, that's School on Wheels. See, I, I, you know, I had a good education despite uh, growing up and not really knowing how important it was when I was 10 years old. I'm glad that you are getting in touch with a lot of the youth of America to make sure they know how important this is. Um, how long have you been around? Uh, School on Wheels was founded in 2001. We've actually are celebrating, okay. yeah, our 15th year. That's fantastic, which leads into this question. Can you share a success story with me and our listeners of, um, of that kid, Johnny, or whoever he is or her from, from 2005? If they were, you know, 10 years old then, now they're 21 years old. Have you kept in touch with some of your, I guess, graduates or alumni and what they're doing today and what School on Wheels meant to them when they were younger? 
Absolutely, and actually, Johnny's name, his name is Ronnie, and he um, connected with our founder, Sally Benley, who founded and is still the CEO of the organization, and she tutored him and you know, found out what his needs were and the shelter he was staying in. They didn't have a computer, and she helped get a computer there, really worked with his grades, um, has stayed in his life ever since. He and his mother found stable housing, he has since graduated, and now he's working for Apple. You're and, kidding. And I know, it's fantastic. He was at our education celebration, which was Thursday night this week, and it's just amazing because he was there, and he's a tutor for us still. So he is tutoring the kids because he knows the impact of this program, as many of the kids do. So it's phenomenal, and we've seen it work. What a great story. I mean, they make movies about how uh, Apple's one of the best companies you could go work for, and that's where he's at now largely in part to the success and efforts of School on Wheels. So Claire Brosman from School on Wheels, again, check out their website. It's IndieSOW.org. Absolutely. I got that right. You did. I only heard it once. I, see, maybe I don't need as much tutoring as I thought I did. Um, Claire, again, thank you so much for coming on, and we encourage our listeners to check it out and get involved. Thank you so, so much for the opportunity. This is Bill O'Brien, and you are listening to The Adam Rich Show. The Adam Rich Show is on location at the American Football Coaches Association National Convention, and we welcome back a friend of the show, Scott Shirley. Hi, Scott. How are you? Hi, Adam. Great to be here. I'm so glad to uh, not only run into you at this convention. It was pre-planned, I have to admit. We wanted (laughs) to get you on the air to talk about your work with Uplifting Athletes. We've showcased your foundation and charity known as Uplifting Athletes several times on the show before, and we're taking advantage of this uh, awesome uh, convention with the American Football Coaches Association, centered and headquartered in Waco, Texas. Yep. Um, I mean, there's big time coaches walking around here, and there's all kind of vendor booths. And you are with um, your own vendor booth with sort of a new, I guess, direction of, of a new part of uplifting athletes. Yeah. You're looking at me like I'm already butchering this, but <laughs> I know I think I'm getting close. Tell us about pledge platform and uh, what this does to help young student athletes raise money for charities it's a it's a really cool story because it started with uplifting athletes and our chapters wanted to find a way to do performance-based fundraising so you know they're already playing games on saturdays they wanted to know if they could raise money for scoring touchdowns and last year we did it with paper and pencil the traditional way and this year we uh try to find a way to automate it and there wasn't anything on the market that did that so we developed it ourselves and uh we use it with florida state in the national championship game and and the players sent out emails to friends and family and uh they pledged five dollars ten dollars a touchdown you know seminoles.com posts a story on their website and all of a sudden you have a couple hundred fans are pledging money and each touchdown's worth a couple thousand dollars and it's uh it's a lot of fun the players are very aware of the impact that their performance on the field has on the cause that they've chosen to raise money for But through that process, we also felt like, you know, there's every amateur sports team in America has fundraising needs. It doesn't always have to be this overtly charitable cause like Uplifting Athletes is. You know, there's high schools that need to raise money for equipment or for travel or youth teams that want to lower registration costs to create more opportunities for kids. So we spun off Pledge Platform to sell and license independently so it doesn't create confusion with Uplifting Athletes, but it still benefits Uplifting Athletes on the back end and it creates new opportunities for amateur athletes around the, around the country. One thing I appreciate as uh, a father of uh, two kids in junior high is that this sort of 
charity fundraising has nothing to do with selling cookie dough or wrapping paper. <laughs> right. I mean, it's not product-based. And, and every coach that we've talked to here, when you ask them what type of fundraising they do, they roll their eyes and they say, I'd rather go broke than have to sell more cookie dough. Yeah. You know, and, and this is fun because it doesn't have the geographic limitations of product-based fundraising do. So you can email your aunt and uncle. You right. Know, your, your grandparents, the system's fully automated, fully integrated. So after the game ends, your grandmother's getting an email telling her, you know, that, that her grandson's team won. They beat their rival. They, you know, so it gets the fans and the family more engaged and more involved in the lives of the, of the amateur athletes, too. Performance-based fundraising. And I worked at a radio station years ago where we had a relationship with the field goal kicker of, um, of the local you know, team. And every field goal he made, we three, point field, three points, we would donate $300 to his charity. So same type thing. Each player on each college team is sending out an email yep. saying, how much money would you like to donate for every touchdown our team scores? And, yeah, you got a rich uncle that's going to say, I'll give you 500 bucks for every touchdown you score. And then you score 42 points, look out. Yeah. And it's not, like you said, the concept isn't new, but the technology is. Right. And even in that scenario, if the radio station wants to do that again with a kicker, you can then invite your listeners to join you, and they can pledge a dollar per field goal. And all of a sudden, your $300 leading pledge is turning into a $1,000 total pledge and, you know, our goal is to talk with some of the players that we have relationships with from uplifting athletes that are currently in the NFL. And in the month of October, ask them to make a leading pledge, say, for every touchdown I throw, I want to give 1000 bucks to breast cancer. Yeah. And when they tweet that out and say to their fans, hey, join me, click here and make your pledge today. And it could literally be, it could be a quarter, it could be a dollar, it could be five, ten, whatever, you know, whatever works for the individual. But just when you accumulate that over the massive following that these athletes have, they can really make a difference. The massive following, I, the light bulb is going off, Scott, because you're right, the, you know, a, a Heisman Trophy winning quarterback from Florida State, a lot of people follow him and want to engage with him and want to donate five bucks for every mm -hmm. touchdown the national champion team scores. Uh, on a local level, a radio station, I'm going to look into this because yeah. a radio station has tens of thousands of listeners, hundreds of thousands of mm -hmm. listeners. And if you can get everybody to donate $1 for a touchdown scored, after the game, you could have $200,000 raised. Sure, and the radio station can take a lot of pride in being the catalyst for that. Not I'm working on that. I'm, I'm emailing you tomorrow, and we're going to do this from a media perspective. Yeah. You're doing this from the athlete yeah. and, the, and the college football team mm -hmm. perspective. I want to get on the media end of this and help yeah. you. That would be awesome. Okay, so Scott Shirley's our guest. Uh, you know him as the executive director and founder of Uplifting Athletes, which is real quick. It's a charity raising money for rare disease based on your personal story with your father that you lost about 10 years ago. Uh, did I miss anything? Uh, no, I mean, it's player run. We have about 25 schools around the country now, uh, half the Big Ten, half the ACC, at least one school in every major conference. And uh, it's really a great life skills learning opportunity for them. It's, it's a... Um, and I really, most importantly, it's player run. There's not one administrator or paid coach that, that works on this charity. It's the players that do it. Right, and that's even with the Florida State story. It was a kid that transferred from Penn State to Florida State, tore his ACL. He's, he's laying on the rehab table, and the light bulb goes off for him. Hey, I was part of this great organization at Penn State. I'd love to bring it down here to Florida State. So he brought it down to Florida State, and then it was the chapter of uplifting athletes that did the touchdown pledge drive. They, they did the first one against Syracuse, and Jameis Winston runs off the field and high-fives Coach Fisher and says, we're making bank, Coach, because they were raising money for Fanconi anemia research in honor of Jimbo's son, Ethan. Right. I remember that. Okay. Yeah. And Uplifting Athletes, is it as simple as upliftingathletes.org? It is, yeah. Okay. Check that out. And now to uh, pledgeplatform.com. Yep. 
Easy enough. All right, Scott Shirley, always a pleasure having you on the show. We look forward to having you back on. Let's take this sort of radio station local team, maybe to the NFL level, yeah. uh, and see how much money we can raise through Pledge Platform for uh, charities with football and scoring and performance-based charities. Yeah. Check out PledgePlatform.com. Scott, always a pleasure. Scott Shirley, thank you so much. Thanks a lot, Adam. The Adam Ritz Show, a reality show for your radio. And welcome back to the broadcast. We thank you for joining us. I'm in Kalamazoo, Michigan, on the campus of Western Michigan University, and I'm pleased to introduce our next guest. He is P.J. Fleck, the head coach of the Western Michigan University Bronco football team. Hi, P.J., how are you? I'm doing well, Adam. Thank you. I'm excited to uh, be here. I can sense the excitement here on campus, uh, the new coach in town. Uh, I hear uh, the youngest coach in America, Division One college football. How's that all feel? I'm proud of that. I definitely am. I, I, like I said, I, I've had a ton of experiences, and uh, you know, it's a little bit, it's a little different when people say you're the youngest head football coach in the country. But when you look back on all the experiences that I've had, you know, we've had uh, we've moved seven times in eight years, so I've had a ton of experiences packed into a small career. Well, your experience, you mentioned uh, you just came from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, wide receiver coach with the Bucks in the NFL. And i got to believe that makes your job easier recruiting with um, high school kids because you're young. They can relate to you. You've got the NFL um, experience that really kind of – that's a wow factor for a 17-year-old to hear. Am I right? Oh, you are. It is. And any time a 17-year-old kid looks at you know, playing football, I mean, his ultimate goal, if he truly loves the game, is to play at the ultimate level, and that's the National Football League. And any time that you can share an experience uh, with them, not only you know being a player in it when I played for the 49ers, but now also coaching in it from different aspects, one, you give them the opportunity to look at it from a player's point of view, and they know that their head coach has played in the National Football football league but now you look at it from a coaching point of view so you get the whole flip side of what the coaches look like Mm -hmm. and coaches look for in the national football league so you're able to share those types of experiences with the young people and and um, you know try to get them to their goal pj flack is our guest head coach western michigan university football a homecoming of sorts you played uh, collegiately at northern illinois is that right interconference the mid-american conference the mac absolutely the mid-american conference one of the best conferences in college football i truly believe that it's one of the uh, most competitive uh, conferences in all of college football uh, and I, I absolutely love the conference i played in it i've coached in it uh, and now I'm back as a head football coach at a different school, which is now my uh, my alma mater is now a rival. But uh, didn't know if it always pan out that way. But uh, I'm really proud to be a Bronco. Now, what do your old buddies from the Huskies think about that? Well, I tell you what, they are they are fans of me. I can promise you that. So they want uh, they want victories 364 days out of the year. Uh, but when we come to uh, DeKalb, Illinois, I think they're. Split, but they say they're split, but I think they're more 60-40, 70-30, more of uh, Northern Illinois. So uh, we actually play out there in DeKalb this year, which will be a great challenge for our football team. And Northern Illinois has got a great football team, and uh, Rod Carey does a great job. And, and uh, But I know our, our team will be uh, ready for that challenge. Well, that's great. I want to talk about uh, some of the causes you work with. I saw recently uh, through a national publication, I think it was um, – SportsIllustrated.com, possibly. Uh, I wasn't even really uh, looking for this. It just popped up on my research. The video of you in the uh, polar plunge, which is, you know, a lot of people know about a polar plunge. You, you assume you just jump in some cold water, and, and it's for charity. 
Tell us how you got involved with this polar plunge. Uh, was it here on campus? Um, and tell us how your wife got involved with this, too. <laughs> well, my wife and I have always been involved with, with, with different charities. We haven't just been involved with just one. Uh, ever since uh, we had a chance to play in the National Football League, that gave us an opportunity to branch out to a lot. We used to run our own football camp, and all the proceeds went to five or six different charities, and we did that every year. But then when you become a college coach, it all gets um, depending. You have to be able to have an own charity within your own state that you work in, and you know, being a college coach, travel all over the country so we had to cancel that but we've always been since then really involved with other charities and anytime a charity comes up my wife and I are more willing to do anything and obviously proving that we're willing to jump into a frozen pond here on campus with a hole cut out of it and uh, <laughs> stand there on the sideline waiting there for an in, in 18 degree temperature with about a 25 mile an hour wind uh, me with my shirt off waiting there in my shorts for about 10 minutes until the firefighters finally tell you, yeah, it's safe to come in the water, but careful where you step because the ice isn't necessarily solid in different places. But I'm not really sure how she got drug into it, but um, when you get in this coaching profession, it's a we profession in terms of it's your wife and you. It's not just yeah. me anymore. I mean, everything we do, we do together. And um, that means jumping into a frozen lake two months after she gave birth. That that was I was going to bring that up. So she just had a baby and she's jumping. Is that what the doctor say? Is that okay? I guess it's fine. She did it and she's willing to check with the doctor. She's one that does everything where she checks with the doctor before she does it, and uh, it seemed to be a thing that would be okay. And, and she took the plunge, and they actually say it's pretty healthy. So they actually say swimming in like really really cold water uh, is actually stimulating for your body and, and keeps you young. When you hit the water, was it colder than you thought it was going to be? One hundred percent. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. And I, I've been in cold tubs sure. as a player. You, you go up neck deep into cold tubs, but a frozen lake is a, a lot colder for some reason um, than, you know, rehabbing after you just get beat <laughs> up for 80 plays in a football game. And uh, what was the charity that be benefited from this particular polar plunge? Uh, that was Special Olympics. Okay. Absolutely. Well, fantastic. We appreciate your community service. I'm sure it was a great way to introduce you as the new coach on campus. Uh, it was a lot of, there's a lot of excitement here. I can feel it. I'm happy to have you on the show. P.J. Fleck, best of luck here at Western Michigan University. Well, I appreciate that. And uh, we have a saying here at Western Michigan called Row the Boat. So uh, everybody out there uh, in Bronco Nation, uh, just keep rowing the boat. Thanks. Get to know Adam at AdamRitz.com. Get to know the radio show at AdamRitzShow.com. Our guest is Jim Voiles. Hi, Jim. How are you? I'm fine. Adam, how are you today? I am just fine, and we welcome you to the broadcast as one of the best defense attorneys in the United States of America. You've worked on such high-profile cases as the Mike Tyson case uh, a few years ago, maybe 15 years ago. When was that? 1992, and then I stayed with him and did the appeal with Mr. Dershowitz through uh, the end of that and then did some cases for him in other parts of the country with licensing and uh, also uh, with a matter out in New uh, Maryland. Well, we bring you on this broadcast today to talk uh, in light of the Aaron Hernandez murder charges. Uh, we're bringing you on to talk about your consult with professional athletes. Now, you do represent a lot of professional athletes, but even before uh, a pro athlete gets in trouble, you also consult teams, uh, organizations in professional sports and individual athletes. Well, let's step back uh, before those decisions are made by a pro athlete. Uh, and you consulting a professional athlete, we can all benefit from this information, everybody listening to this show. So just as far as a decision-making, um, uh, you know, I, I consult professional athletes as well, not from a legal standpoint, but just from decision-making. You do it from a legal standpoint. What can you share with us about how you approach some of these high-risk topics with professional athletes? 
Well, I've done it for uh, a couple of the sports teams, and uh, what I try to impart upon that players is that when they come to a particular location, uh, a new city, a new state, um, they have to be really aware of the local laws uh, because it may be legal in your state to carry a weapon without a permit. Uh, in the state that you are now uh, living in, that may be totally illegal. So you, you try to talk to them about really from the basic traffic offenses to the types of people who may try to hang around them, uh, sometimes how vulnerable they may be out in public when they're in these large parties or groups of people. Uh, there are certainly people who would be willing to uh, take advantage of them, both financially and otherwise. And so you, you try to make them aware of their surroundings. That, that you know, If they're playing for a sports team and they come into a city, uh, very often most of the people in the city will know uh, if a guy walks into a local bar and he's uh, looks like a major football player in terms of size and the way he handles himself, uh, people are going to know that he's probably going to be associated with the team in that city. And so they have to be aware, and sometimes they're just not aware of their own presence and what happens. You know, you just touched on something that, that really means a lot to just the normal everyday person. If you're moving, find out what the local laws are, where you're moving to, and that could be as simple as text messaging or talking on your phone in your car. There are a lot of states that have laws where you can't even be on your phone in your car. And if you move to that city, you could just get a simple traffic ticket. Right, and that's and, and the, the problem you have with the simple traffic tickets, very often that leads to looking into vehicles. Uh, I noticed that there was a, a uh, the police very often, once the car has stopped, they ask consent to look in vehicles. Very often they may find a weapon that is illegal in that state, although it may have been legal in the state where the athlete came from. They might find contraband that's in the car that's illegal. Uh, and, and so the, the being aware of your traffic circumstances and things that you can or cannot do in that particular state will help you avoid those kinds of problems. I mean, the best thing is don't have things in your car that are legal in any way, shape, or form. Don't carry a weapon in your car. Uh, certainly don't carry contraband in your car uh, because those things will be found and then it's going to be the, your situation that you're going to have to deal with. It will bring disrespect to you. Uh, it will bring disrespect for your team and may very easily jeopardize your job or your profession. Jim Voiles is our guest, defense attorney, and uh, there's been some rumblings nationwide about uh, the drunk driving laws and then moving the number down from .08 to .05. It may take 10 years for this to happen. Your thoughts? Well, I think the uh, when I started practicing law a number of years ago, the uh, presumptive, or what we call the prima facie evidence on impairment, was .15. So you can see how far we've dropped already. Um, I'm not sure that the point oh five. I hate to interrupt you. That, I point one five. Correct. That is cr that's crazy. That's crazy to me. I mean, in 2013, that's you're drunk at point one five. Well, in 1968, when I started my <laughs> practice, through the, until the uh, change was made to point oh eight, it was point one five, and it, wow. it started out at point one five. Then it moved to point one oh. Now it's down to point oh eight. Um, I, I'm not sure they're going to get to point oh five because that's pretty bare minimal. Uh, but people who uh, drink certainly have to be aware. And my, my feeling, I'm surprised that people who drink that don't take somebody who is a non-drinker to drive them home. It's so elementary or to mm -hmm. call a cab 
or have some kind of vehicle available for you to go uh, from bar to bar if that's what you intend to do. But people don't do that. Uh, when they stop doing that, I'll stop having clients. <laughs> Well, let's wrap up this interview with a little fun. Uh, We tend to tackle social awareness issues with a sports theme. You are a racing aficionado. You've loved uh, open-wheel racing uh, since the day you were born, 500 years ago. That's right. Uh, Give us some race stories, some of the people you chum with, some of the uh, cars you, you know and have worked on, maybe. Well, I've, I've always had an interest in racing. Uh, my father uh, and my uncle uh, were kind of fueled my interest. My father was in the military, but um, he was very close to my uncle, and my uncle was one of the founders of the United States Auto Club. So as a young boy, I've had an interest in automobile racing, and I've sent, seen every Indianapolis 500 but one since 1953. Wow. Uh, my wife's father won the 500 in 1950. His name no is... Johnny Parsons, and uh, so we both kind of come into the world with an interest in automobile racing, and I've kind of kept it up. Um, I spend a lot of time at going to the Indy Racing League races. Uh, I'm very, very close friends with Chip Ganassi, uh, Bill Simpson, who makes all the uh, safety equipment, um, and uh, have spent a lot of time with Little Al and uh, a number of the people in racing. Uh, Roger Penske uh, is a friend, and so I kind of just in, enjoy going to the races. I'm a, I'm purely a spectator. Um, I can go to the stands and be happy eating my chicken and watching the race. Have you ever done, uh, you know, Monaco or anything in Europe, F1? I sure have. Um, three years ago, my son and I uh, went to Monaco for the Formula One race. Wow. Uh, it was a terrific experience, and uh, I saw every Formula One race that was here um, at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway when Formula One was here. And I travel, uh, and I'm looking forward to going to Spa and some other Formula One races, which uh, now that we have one in Austin, Texas, that's kind of a new venue for us. So, When you were in Monaco, was it a fried chicken crowd? Did you wear an Indy 500 t-shirt? I did not wear an Indy 500. We had to wear a sport coat uh, to go to the paddock, uh, and it was certainly a, a champagne crowd. Uh, uh, but they did have croissants, which I did like. <laughs> That is great. Jim Boyles, we can't thank you enough for your insights both on racing and with uh, decision-making from uh, a legal perspective. Jim Boyles, defense attorney, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you very much, Adam. The Adam Ritz Show is recorded live, both in studio and across the country. For information on this broadcast, including how to hear this show on a station in your city, visit adamritzshow.com.